these questions, we'll open it up to the panel uh, to ask their questions one at a time, uh, allowing for as many follow-ups as necessary. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a few follow-ups there as well, but we just want to give the panel plus uh, FTX users enough time to ask any questions uh, or comments uh, as they see fit. Let's try not to talk over one another uh, so we can get as much information as possible. Uh, with that out of the, uh, of the way, I'm going to hand over the microphone to Nicholas, uh, who will be uh, moderating and uh, introduce the panel quickly and move on to some of our questions. Uh, thanks so much, guys. Thanks again, everybody, for coming. I am Nicholas from the UW team, and I want to thank the panelists today. So first, I'm just going to start off to quickly introduce the panelists that have joined us today. Our panelists are Molly White of Web3 is Great. We've also got Cass Piancy of the Crypto Critics Podcast, Dylan LeClaire of 21st Paradigm, Crypto Kaleo of Ledger Art, and Tracy Wang of Coindesk. Thank you all so much for helping us out today. Let's dive right in in. So with that out of the way, Sam, I just want to start off with the obvious context here. Many believe you're speaking to media to be perceived as someone who just messed up without intent, as well as invoke sympathy in an apology tour. Yet the past of FTX has been filled with subterfuge, lack of transparency, mismanagement, and not looking out for the best interests of users given this fiasco. So we thank you for your time, Sam, but just know that our sympathy lies with the users of FTX, many of whom are listening here, who lost money, their life savings, because of how FTX and Alameda was run. And we want to give them a chance to voice their questions. So with that understood, I'm going to start off with some of those very questions. So if you don't mind, Sam, the very first question we're going to pop off with here is a simple yes or no question. On November 8th, you said customer assets were backed one-to-one -one in a tweet that's now been deleted. Was this true? Uh, so... Uh, Yes, but um, uh, it, it was uh, the case that uh, FTX, uh, that, you know, the sum of all customer assets um, was equal to balances on hand, uh, to the best of my knowledge. Um, uh, but the problem is that that includes negative balances for some customers. Um, whenever you have margin trading or futures positions, on an exchange, there are going to be a lot of customers that have less than zero of something. And so what that means is that while it is the case that, you know, net customer assets were equal to uh, net, you know, assets on the platform, net net customer balances were equal to assets held on the platform, um, gross customer assets were not. Like if you add up all the positive positions, that was a bigger number than any of the other numbers. And so well, while it is true, I, I think it frankly probably doesn't really address the well doesn't address what actually happened and doesn't address um, what is probably the largest concern with a you know derivatives or merchant trading platform, which is um, customer accounts blowing out, going you know below zero, or being unable to meet margin call, and uh, thus their negative uh, balances having to be you know internalized by uh by the system or ultimately externalized by users um that is that's what we ran into thank you sam so i'm gonna move directly into another yes or no on november 7th you said we quote don't invest client assets a tweet that's also been deleted not even in treasuries 
Was that true? It's it's effectively the same, yes, but um, FTX did not invest customer assets. Um, we were looking at ways to invest in treasuries, but had not gotten there yet. Um, however, um, uh, well, well, that that is true. Um, uh, it is also the case that um, I, that just because we don't like there are still clients with margin positions open. That means there are still clients that had positive and negative positions, and and there's a danger when there are negative positions. Um, if the client can't meet margin call on those, then you have a hole in the system. And so while 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 it was true, um, you know that also did not really address uh, the scenario that actually happened and and didn't address frankly probably what is generally the biggest type of worry with you know leveraged trading platforms okay and so another yes or no if ftx did not invest did alameda invest in customer assets then yes or no alameda invested with its um funds I don't know all of the details of exactly which funds uh, were where with Alameda, and, and part of that's because I don't have access to data right now, and so I'm reconstructing this from memory. Um, but, so, Sam, you stepped but, down from Alameda as yep. CEO in the summer of 2021, correct? Uh, I formally stepped down, then I effectively transitioned out about a year earlier. Okay, so in 2021, did Alameda invest customer assets during that time? Uh, I don't believe so. And I, I, I should, I think, address a, a little bit of a definitional issue that is going on here, which is, um, it, it's not a small definitional issue. It's a large one, um, which is the following. And, and it sort of gets to just part of the same question. Um, let's say that you have two traders on an exchange, Alice and Bob. Um, Alice deposits one Bitcoin. Um, Bob deposits a million dollars and then withdraws one Bitcoin um, or, or alternatively gets short one Bitcoin. Um, and then Bob takes that Bitcoin that, that he withdrew and invests it in a project. Would you describe Bob in that case as having invested customer assets? So I do want to continue on the same line that we we're going. I don't want to get yeah. too derailed here, Sam. Yep. So let's let's nail down a bit more on the customer funds and withdrawals since we have gotten a ton of questions on that. Yep. And as I'm sure you know, Unusual Whales, we, we catered directly to the voices of retail investors. Yep. And that's who honestly was hurt yep. deeply in this entire situation. Yep. So on that line, on November 9th, after saying, quote, we don't invest customer deposits, all withdrawals were paused except for the Bahamas. Recently, when asked by CoffeeZilla regarding the omnibus wallets for withdrawals, you said that users' accounts weren't demarcated properly at all. In fact, your exact words were that withdrawals were treated equally regardless of the risk for withdrawals in November. So is it true, yes or no, that withdrawals were treated the same regardless of risk in November? Uh, so withdrawals were only permitted for accounts that you know, met their own margin criteria for withdrawing. So um, it, it, it's not true independent of the risk of the, like the sort of like, you know, economic risk necessary of the position that the accounts had on. They had to pass those checks. But um, to get to your point, um, I do believe that it, that it was the case that, um, I, that I, when you look at withdrawals for accounts, 
um, uh, it wasn't the case that, for instance, no one with an open futures position was allowed to withdraw. Um, you know, clients were allowed to withdraw assets up until the point where where withdrawals were shut down, as long as they passed margin checks. Um, which does mean that you know some clients who had um, solvent, like very solvent and well collateralized positions, but which did have margin positions open, who did have you know capital which is being used as collateral and used in the um, uh, you know in, in in various systems for which there is greater uh, clawback risk, um, were potentially able to withdraw. Um, I don't have details like on that because again I don't have access to the data right now, um, but. Uh, but that is, um, you know, there is at least a way in which that is true and, uh, which, you know, if you wanted to think about it this way, I think you could think about it as, um, I basically, I, the, uh, the, so so on that line, uh, on the comment of not having the data currently, I'd like to ask then, did any such withdrawals on November 7th happen while you did have that data? Were oh. any non-margin user funds able to be withdrawn by margin users? Oh, sorry. The problem isn't that I didn't have data then. The problem is I don't have data about anything right now. Right now, I have no data about anything. So all I can go off of is my memory. Um, so to your memory then, right. as of November 7th, were any non-margin user funds able to be withdrawn by margin users? So to my to my memory... I believe, um, and I don't remember exactly when things happened, but that like on November 7th, um, to the extent that there were deliverables available on the exchange to process withdrawals, I believe all accounts were open, were eligible for withdrawals as long as they had excess margin, um, which is to say as long as you know those assets were not required uh, for those accounts um, uh, in order- And this is true for all accounts? I. Uh, affected. I mean, whatever. There are sort of outlier accounts that had, you know, voluntary withdrawal holds placed on it by the users. But ignoring things like that, um, I think it was true for uh, all accounts on FTX uh, on November. Certainly on November sixth. I think on November seventh. I don't remember the exact time at which um, at which we began shutting off uh, withdrawals. But uh, but prior to that, it was true for effectively all all accounts that were sufficiently collateralized on the exchange. And so in your opinion, Sam, does allowing all accounts and potentially all users to withdraw funds that may not have been theirs, but another customer's constitute a problem? Uh, it's a good question. And it, here's my honest answer to it. Although I'm, I'm open to other people's answers to this. I don't want to phrase this as the obviously correct answer. It's just my um my sort of interpretation of it, um, which is that uh, I think that's something we should have given much more clarity on. That's my honest answer. And there are actually a number of related issues that very rarely came up, but that did occasionally come up and that uh, that there were judgment calls that would have to be made on. And I'm, I'm happy to walk through what a few of those works that they touch on similar issues. Um, one classic example of this is what happens if one user is lending out funds, another borrows, and then the lender withdraws their assets. Um, what happens to the borrower? Like, do you have to liquidate them? Do you kind of like frantically go out and try and find more people to lend back in? Um, around the, around the, the edges of margin trading as a system, um, 
uh, there are actually a number of cases where um, the sort of naive interpretation of it that almost always worked as the understanding um, of the system broke down or at least became a lot less clear than 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 you know I and others usually thought of them as and this is one of those and so I I you know what do I really think in retrospect I think we should have had like a much longer Zendesk article than we had and I think it should have like spelled out extremely clearly like in scenario A and scenario B and scenario C and in all these scenarios in which you're starting to touch the edge of a system in which you're starting to talk about what if there's a big clawback, but it happens in a delayed manner and there were thralls in the meantime, like what happens there? That's something so kind of speaking of the speaking of that, that phrase of not so clear with regards to customer withdrawals and all accounts with drawing being in these omnibus wallets were customer deposits as well, not demarcated properly. Uh, in some ways they were, in some ways they weren't. And uh, let me give you a few of each of those. Um, ways in which they were well demarcated, um, uh, well, uh, on the internal accounting, it, it was clear. Like when FTX accounted for its financials, um, everything w- was fairly clearly laid out. However, um, there are a number of ways where this broke down. Um, one of them is like, so it was omnibus wallets. So although there were basically databases that stored breakdowns of things, um, I, you know, that was, it wasn't like reflected on chain or anything like that. Um, and, and so that's sort of one messiness there. And then a second piece of messiness here um, is that, um, uh, is, is that, uh, when we checked for uh, solvency or for, you know, basically reconciliation, right, checking that assets lined up with liabilities, um, that check was, it did a very good job of, of detecting things like hacks or, 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 or wallet discrepancies or like blockchain issues. Um, but it did not think deeply about user account risk. And so it, it just treated negative numbers as negative numbers and added up all the numbers and confirmed they all added up. And thus all of those, you know, when you looked at like processing withdrawals and like, are there sufficient funds to process this withdrawal for a margin account? You know, we had checks that there were sufficient assets, but those checks implicitly assumed that all accounts would be able to meet their margin calls in order for that math to work out. And that's obviously, well, that's not what happened here. And and that was obviously always a scenario that, like, frankly, we should have paid more attention to, had a lot clearer rules for. Um, okay, so thank, I do, I do want to get a bit more onto the deposits yep. now. So with Alexander Osipovich from the Wall Street Journal, you said that more than half of customer money was wired to the Alameda bank accounts. You had further said that more than $5 billion was transferred into Alameda accounts. Is that a correct? Uh, so there's a version of that that's correct. I'm just going to state it in the way I know it to be, um, just so that it's unambiguous, um, which is that um, I the total amount ever wired straight to Alameda Research by customers, um, so that's a, a total figure ever, was, I believe, um, I, greater than 50% of the net customer balances on FTX at the time 
uh, on you know on November sixth. And so it's comparing apples to oranges a little bit because one of them is a total amount ever transferred, um, and the other is a uh, is a like current balance uh, counter. Um, and, but uh, but but it is the case that I believe that like you know that one number was greater than fifty percent of that other number. Um, and I, sorry, you, 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 there's a second piece, which I, I've forgotten of that question. Uh, so the second part was that the more than 5 billion, <clears throat> excuse me, was transferred into those Alameda accounts. Uh, so I believe, and I'm not a hundred percent confident in this. I don't have access to the data again, but my, my belief is that, um, is yeah, that the total amount ever wired by customers straight to Alameda's bank accounts. Um, as part of the system that was built out before FTX had its own bank accounts, that if you add up all of those wire transfers over time, I think uh, my guess is you get a number above $5 billion. So I, I am curious then, how did you know that deposit number up to November 6th, given you don't have the full data on withdrawals and deposits in the past, and that you've said numerous times that Alameda's dashboards were incorrect? Oh, so, right. It's a very good question. There is a brief window in which I did a ton of digging. That window was from November, basically from November 6th through to November 10th or so. So in that four day, no, it's a crazy four day period. But in that four day period, I did a bunch of digging and compiled some of these numbers. And like a lot of my recollection is coming from like queries I ran then. During that period, I like dug into everything that was going on and tried to reconcile it all. And then after November, I don't remember, 10th, something roughly like that, uh, my data access got cut off. So I can't currently go back and query those things. Um, and I had not done a careful accounting of this prior to the 6th, but between the 6th and the 10th, I, I did a bunch of accounting. Okay, so because you were the former CEO of Alameda up until a year ago, yep. you would have known that deposits continually went to Alameda and decided not to do anything about it, correct? So... Uh, let me give you three answers to your question. One answer to start off with is like, all right, I should have been more aware of what's going on. Like that, that, that was a fuck up on my part that, that I was not more aware. Um, so part of my answer is like, yeah. Um, a second part of my answer is that, um, I, is that, I mean, I didn't do the, like, I wasn't sort of like the chief accountant for it. That's not like primarily what I was doing. And I sort of like trusted the accounting team to like, you know, confirm that things lined up the third answer and and this is something i believe to be true but it, it is a little bit of an approximation so take this with with a little bit of a grain of salt um but but i but i believe it's the case um that um i uh, that up in that as of you know a year and a half ago and certainly as of like two and a half years ago when i was transitioning out of uh running alameda um, that that as of those times, I believe that it was um, uh, the case that uh, uh, that this number was massively smaller than it ended up by uh, you know late twenty twenty two. I don't know exactly how much smaller, but uh, but I think that it was um, you know I uh, I don't know maybe a quarter of the size or something like that. Like like I think a, a to the point where you know I think it made the difference between being a moderately but not incredibly important number and an incredibly important number. Um, I'm not sure exactly when that growth happened in that number, um, but I, I kind of think that a lot of it may have happened in the last, you know, in the last two years. So one thing that you continue to plead 
ignorance to Sam of Alameda, yet Caroline Alameda CEO confirmed that, and I quote directly, quote, over the recent months, Alameda had taken out loans and used the money to make VC investments, among other expenditures, to the New York Times. Caroline also confirmed that, quote, around the time the crypto markets crashed this spring, lenders moved to recall those loans, but the funds that Alameda spent was no longer easily available. A look at FTX's user fund wallet reveals after May's crypto crash, Alameda's borrowing limit was increased from FTX and also approved by the exchange. Caroline herself told reporters that FTX knew of Alameda's liabilities and increases. Can you tell me who made that approval, Sam? Um, I wish I... So, I wish I could. Um, and... I think that speaks a little bit to one of my fuck ups that I don't have a good answer to that question. Like, uh, I don't, I, uh, that's a pretty reasonable question to be asking me so and to be like it, expecting a clear answer to. Wouldn't it essentially be you as the CEO of FTX, FTX, excuse me, that would have to give that approval. Wouldn't it have been you as the FTX CEO that gave that approval? Uh, not necessarily. Um, now, obviously independent of who like physically gave the approval for it um as ceo like i did bear ultimately like ultimate responsibility for like making sure that we did the right things as a company and i had a massive failure there um no matter what like i did have ultimate responsibility in in the sense that i was ultimately responsible for the company doing the right things um but uh it was not the case that i was um uh, that that like I was involved in you know every uh, e e like that I was actually involved in every one of those decisions or, or or like was mandated to be involved. Although I think one could reasonably think that maybe I, I should have been. So were you involved in this one? I uh, I uh, in when you say this one, um, just straight yes or no. I uh, my belief is that so i don't know of a single instance that like lines up with what you're talking about that i was involved in um i i was sort of vaguely aware that you know alameda had a position open on ftx um i was not i uh, involved in a detailed way there um i it's i think my answer is somewhere between and again this isn't a good thing that I don't have a better answer to your question. Like there's a problem with me not having a better answer to it. Um, but my answer to some extent is, um, uh, is that like, uh, I think it's not, not in a way that was, that's so it, well it defined. Does a little bit that you are vaguely aware of the important things and surely confident of unimportant things. But I, I want to kick this off to our panelists now for some questions. And I want to start with Tracy Wang here. Tracy, please ask any questions that you have prepared or see fit here. Oh, well, hi, Sam. Um, first question, tomorrow, are you going to be testifying in person in front of Congress? Uh, no, I'm going to be uh, calling in. Got it. When you first said that you weren't yet ready to testify yep. before Congress and you said you needed more uh, information. Yep. Uh, 
What new information were you referring to? Uh, so I have access to almost no information right now. Uh, I don't have access to um, current or historical data on FTX or Alameda's uh, you know, balances, accounts, or anything like that. Um, I, I don't have, so all I have is my memory. I also don't have access to most of my old documents. Um, so I, I'm sort of but like, why do you, this from why, memory. why are you, you know, you've been doing a lot of media interviews these past couple weeks, but yep. you felt like you weren't yet ready to speak to Congress. So, I mean, obviously I did ultimately, I consent to speaking to, to Congress and I, I will be testifying um, tomorrow. Um, but, you know, to your question, uh, um, I, uh, I, there is a, um, testifying in front of Congress is a, has a, a fairly, um, it's not a bunch of people who just, you know, sort of have, have, you know, free time or don't, and, you know, kind of choose to like, you know, listen in or not as they, they see fit and sort of come and go. And like, like, this is like, it's the United States Congress. And I felt like if I'm going to go there and cause like 50 representatives um, to be I uh, not like soft obligated to, you know, spend time talking to me and, and, and further to feel like they have a duty to their constituents um, to be able to know what happened and tell them what happened and give good answers to things and things like that. Um, I basically felt like uh, I was not confident I was going to be able to do that. Um, and, and, and that like, I was going to have to give a lot of answers that were kind of like the answers I'm giving here, which are like, uh, maybe, or like, yeah, I don't know. I think so. Um, and that that felt underwhelming for uh, testifying before Congress. And I, uh, you know, and, and on top of that, like, there, you know, I want to make sure that everything that I say, um, everywhere, but especially there, um, is, you know, not just something I think is probably true, but is something that I am extremely confident is true, or else disclaim extremely clearly and specifically, uh, because it's very, very important um, that I, you know, that I not state things um, in a way that I'm overconfident about um, in, in in front of Congress. And that all led me to feel like it was going to be, you know, uh, somewhat awkward and, 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 and less informative than I would want it to be and that I think people would want it to be. I wanted to make sure that that was clear to representatives, you know, Waters and McHenry and to the committee, and that they understood that they were not going to be getting a lot of the answers they're looking for by having me testify that like it was going to be frustrating and underwhelming in, in some ways, because I was, I, I just wasn't going to be able to answer questions that I would really want to be able to, and frankly, really should be able to. Um, uh, and, um, and so that, that was, so, so we don't get derailed too far yep. here, Sam. Thank you for the responses. I want to move over to Dylan LeClaire. He has his hand up here. Dylan, any questions that you want to push forward here? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess so. Maybe stepping a little bit away from from FTX and, and more so to Alameda. Um, and Sam, I know you stepped down uh, in in October of 2021, if I remember correctly. Um, actually, I've, have pinned in the nest uh, 
you know, maybe a shit post, maybe not. One of your tweets that says, <laughs> quote, if only people knew how balls long uh, crypto Alameda has been. Um, I just want to want to kind of push it over a little bit. Uh, maybe when we when we uh, the CoinDesk balance sheet was leaked, yep. we saw most of your net equity uh, for Alameda was tied up in, in completely illiquid altcoins, FTT, uh, locked FTT, Solana, et cetera. Um, if we go back to 2021, most uh, Alameda was by far and away the biggest uh, redeemer and, and user of Tether on the planet, uh, around $36 billion or so redeemed. Uh, what, created, what, uh, probably not created. redeemed. Uh, okay, uh, created. Um, what was uh, the relationship with Tether and, and, and did Tether ever extend Alameda Research uh, loans? And if so, what was the collateral uh, used for that? So thanks. Yeah, to- totally appreciate it. To my knowledge, and there's always a chance there's something I'm unaware of here. I'd be a little surprised, but but it could be. Um, I, but to my knowledge, um, I, the answer to that question is one of the most underwhelming um, uh, answers in crypto. I, the relationship was pretty standard. I, you know, basically Alameda, you know, it's a clue fraud arbitrage or market maker. And, uh, you know, when there is demand for Tether, Tether would start trading, you know, 25 basis points above a dollar. Alameda would go to, you know, Tether. It would wire over dollars in order to create Tether and sell those in markets. And that was sort of the core flow. Um, and I'm not aware of any, like, loans that Alameda ever had from Tether or investments or anything like that. Um, uh, it was... Uh, it was, it was, you know, as far as I'm aware, just creations and redemptions. Okay, got it. Um, thanks for that. Uh, I guess the, the follow up would be, um, in terms of wiring the, the the money to Tether, is that a is that a relationship with with Silvergate Bank? We obviously saw some some leaks with uh, Alameda um, and the FTX wire being to an Alameda bank account at Silvergate, uh, and then also, I guess maybe a related question. Is there any relationship to Moonstone Bank, uh, the, the the bank that Alameda Research invested ten million to, which was double the the net equity of Moonstone Bank, the twenty sixth smallest bank in the country, uh, just just uh, about nine months ago in March, um, where subsequently deposits jumped by a factor of eight or nine. Um, just trying to piece together some puzzle, like some of the puzzle here, um, in terms of right. the banking relationships that FTX and Alameda had. Um, and, and, you know, how does $36 billion get, get wired, uh, potentially, you know, with, with funds being commingled or not? So, yep. So going through those uh, from the back front, um, Moonstone, I don't know the answer. Um, it's not a no, it's an I don't know. Um, I was, I am vaguely aware that there is some stuff with Moonstone. I was never, I uh, uh, like, never super involved there and legitimately just like, I don't, I don't n- know exactly what happened there. Um, I'm not saying anything untoward happened, um, but I, I, but I think that there is some, you know, hope to use them for banking services. Um, I, and like, it was a, a constant, uh, struggle to get banks that were happy with crypto, uh, customers. And so I, I think, you know, my understanding is we saw them as like a potentially crypto friendly bank and, uh, but that like, I don't know what happened in, in, in the talks there. Um, in terms of Silvergate and other banks, um, uh, I mean, uh, there's, I'm going to give you the answer as of like a year ago or so. 
Um, I don't know if things changed in the last year in terms of like tether creations and redemptions. Um, like people are often changing bank accounts. Maybe tether did too. I don't know. Um, but as of, you know, 20, well, certainly as of 2020 and anything probably as of 2021, um, I, you know, most of the banks that you're going to talk about there, um, you know, the sort of like U.S. Um, banks that have substantial crypto uh, banking businesses, um, those would be places that like a crypto firm would have a bank account at that, you know, Alameda would, but 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 frankly, most institutional uh, crypto players would have a bank account at each one of those uh, major uh, crypto friendly banks. Um, and then if you were to create Tether, um, you know, you would probably send a wire transfer to Tether's bank from uh, wherever you had funds. And so, you know, it, some may have come from Silver I'm, I'm not sure, uh, but that doesn't have anything that, that there's no relationship that I'm aware of between Silvergate and Tether or between, um, you know, most of these banks and, and Tether directly. It's just, it's just like, it comes from whatever bank, uh, you know, whatever bank the creator happened to have dollars at. Um, so there's nothing, uh, maybe there's something interesting I don't know about, but I, I don't think so. There's nothing I know about interesting on the uh, tether, uh, like like banks that were used to send money to uh, create tether with um, front. And did you have a, a third question? I, I may have forgotten. Yeah, it was just. I mean, I, I guess maybe just a, a clarifying question, just so there's there's no doubt. Um, at least oh, the thirty six billion. Your... Sorry, sorry. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's so the thing with the thirty six billion is. Like, it's not that Alameda had $36 billion and then took those $36 billion $1 bills and used them to create $36 billion tether tokens. Um, that, that's sort of not at all how it works. The way that it works is, is much more similar to, like, Alameda has $10 million, uses that to buy, to create $10 million of tether, sells that out in markets to demand in markets when it's trading above a dollar a token, um, sells it for, you know, $1,010,000 dollars takes those $1,010,000, creates more Tether, and cycles through it. And so the total aggregate creation size over the course of, like, a year-long period is generally going to be, like, or has the potential to be, like, you know, 300 times as big um, as the actual amount of capital that was necessary um, to, to do that. And, and that, that, that's, that's what was happening there. And so uh, the... Uh, I, you know, there's, and similarly, and you can look at, so I'm just yeah. stepping here, Sam, as well, just to keep things kind of yeah, on totally. track. We did receive a question from the community. It's one we've gotten a lot regarding FTX's tokenized shares. The custodial firm CM equity AG ceased relationships with FTX in 2021 of December. Why did that happen? If there was no risk officer at FTX, how this tokenized division running and risk therein? Um, uh, so I'm not the person who can give you the most details on that, but I, I can give you a, a general sense, um, which is that uh, uh, the, the corporate structure of those um, may have changed slightly, but but there were uh, teams that were in charge of that process and, uh, and that were in charge of the process specific to the tokenized stocks. Um, I could reach out to them and try and get, get a better answer on that front, um, but uh, but I think that was just a, a corporate entity change, uh, to my knowledge, rather than anything else. And then I do actually think that there were people who I th were monitoring tokenized stock um, executions and, and exposure and risk. I don't know the details of that. Uh, but the answer, weirdly and, and probably not, probably not good that this is true. 
Um, but I, but I believe the answer is that there's actually like substantially more like sort of man hours going into monitoring like tokenized stock uh, risk than like uh, overall user account position risk on FTX. So as a follow-up here, because customer funds and deposits were indeed not backed one-to-one, can you confirm with us now whether tokenized shares of AMC, GME, and others were backed one-to-one? Uh, to my knowledge, they were, but I I want to get you a better answer to that question and whether, like, uh, I don't have an updated answer to that question, like, after the, the, the shit show. And uh, I think that's a very reasonable question to ask. I think I actually know how to get a better answer to that question. So I'm going to put that on my stack as a, a to-do to get back to you guys on. Um, I totally well, perhaps you'll be able to get that together in time for the Congress hearing. So uh, I'm going to move this over to you, Molly White. I see your hand there. Let's get some questions from Molly as well here. Hey, Sam. Um, all right. I'm going to start with a really simple yes or no question. Oh, boy. Are you playing video games right now? Oh, geez. I actually can't answer that question. Uh, <laughs> I was so confident I wasn't going to be able to answer with a simple yes or no. Uh, yes, I am. Okay. Is it League? <laughs> it is not. No, it's Storybook Brawl. Okay. Um, so I want to go back to the question that Tracy answered about uh, the hearing tomorrow. Yep. Um, why are you not appearing in person? I, I have... Uh, I'm here in the Bahamas where I have been for last year, where, you know, FTX International had been run for and run from and, um, you know, doing what I can to support basically like all of the kind of global teams uh, who have been, you know, I, I running FTX International prior to and after. Um, but you have left the Bahamas in the past few years for important engagements in Washington. Why not now? This seems pretty important. I have at some point. There's. It's also, frankly, a pretty important time for me to be here. Um, I'm uh, quite overbooked and was not planning uh, to be testifying until like very recently. Um, and then the other thing that I'll say is, is something I need to get a better handle on. But from a security standpoint, like I've been uh, for reasons that I completely understand um, and. Uh, although it's frustrating, I, I feel like um, I, I sort of respect as much as I could for something like this, where people are coming from on this. Um, it's very difficult for me to move right now and travel because just like the paparazzi effect is quite large. I'm not sure. I are you worried you might be detained if you stepped foot into the U.S.? I don't believe I would be, but I haven't done a like deep dive into that at some point. That's right. something I have to think harder about. And then there is a Senate hearing coming up this week as well. Are you planning to appear at that? Um, I, 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 I am not currently. Um, I, I am not currently scheduled to do that. Um, and uh, sorry, I know this is a, a bit of a halting answer. Um. I'm not currently scheduled to do that. Um, I am open um, and and willing to have a, a conversation with, um, you know, with the, the the chair of the ranking member uh, about the hearing uh, if they believe it's important 
that I attend. Um, it's my, I think they believe it's important that you attend. Uh, I'm sure they. I'm sure they do. I think like I, I I do expect that it will be at a very materially similar hearing 24 hours earlier. And so I think you know from my perspective, the the biggest thing I'm thinking about is like what is the relationship between these and what is it that the American people and, and that you know our our policymakers and lawmakers would be getting from the uh you know from the second one of those that that would not be duplicative um you know with the 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 first one um uh but it's you know that's a conversation i'm 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 very willing to have and and uh i've in fact expressed my i, I don't think publicly but have expressed my openness to having that conversation with them got it all right uh one more question before i leave a little more time for other people um so you have said, or FTX has said, that you were instructed by Bahamian regulators to re-enable withdrawals during a brief period before you shut it off again. Uh, Bahamas regulators have denied instructing FTX to take that action. So are you lying or are they? Uh, so I don't have um, any, um, uh, I don't have any uh, belief or evidence of them lying in any cases. Um, I believe that, uh, and I, I should also just go back and look this up myself, but my understanding is that that's actually bleeding together um, the phrasing of two different events that happened. And the instructed to language, I believe, crept into the narrative as a reference to an asset transfer, not in reference to the withdrawals. And I believe the language with respect to the withdrawals was somewhat different than that. Um, it's possible I'm, I'm wrong on that. This, this is the thing I actually could look up and should look up. Um, and I, I, so I, I think that the, I believe the answer is neither and that like, that was not how I had phrased it. So here I am going to move on to another panelist question. Kaleo, I see your hand, but we're going to kick to Cass Piancy here and then I'll move on to you, Kaleo. There, I see your hand up. So Cass, please ask any questions you had going. I saw your hand up earlier as well. Thank you. Um, so first of all, Sam, I find it incredibly disrespectful that you're playing video games while you're talking to us. Um, I know that you said it's uh, more important tomorrow when you talk to Congress, and I hope so. I hope you, you're not playing video games tomorrow when you're uh, trying to dissuade Congress from seeing uh, you as a fraud. I think that this is... Do you have a question? Uh, it's, it's, yeah, I do have a question. So first of all, I think... Uh, Moonstone Bank, it sounded like you basically described a quid pro quo to me. So you guys invested $11.5 million, and then you deposited roughly $80 million. Is that right? Uh, I'm not sure that that could be right. I like legitimately am not sure, but that doesn't sound... You're like not You're not sure, but I, I'm confused. Like, this is one of your banks. So you what do you mean it's one of our banks? As in, it's a bank that we have an account at? Uh, that's that's my question for you. Seventy to eighty million dollars was deposited right after you guys uh, invested eleven point five million dollars. Was that your money? Sorry, was deposited by who? By, uh, by was it deposited by Alameda and FTX or not? I legitimately don't know the answer to your question. It's a totally reasonable question. Um, I again, I don't. Who are your banking partners, Sam? Who were you guys banking with? Like, where was this money going? Was it going to Moonstone and Dell Tech? Like, who were your banking partners? Can you tell me? There were a lot. We probably had like 40 payment processors when you put them all together or something like that for FTX. Banking partners, but, banking partners, not payment processors, banking partners. So 
uh, none of the ones you've named were like the the banking partners that I believe the most volume went through. Um, Can you tell me who those were then? I I mean I think if you look at the like I, I, I it's it's like what you would see if you like looked at wire deposit instructions on FTX like my guess is is it would be you know you'd be looking at Silvergate Signature um, places like that in the United States and then a whole host of other depository institutions um, globally um, because you know when you're trying to onboard customers from different jurisdictions um, you often need different banking rails. Okay, so you, you, you're basically telling me that it was Silvergate and Signature, um, and I'm confused as to your answers to CoffeeZilla before, where you uh, described having customer funds sent to Alameda as opposed to FTX, um, and that these were being wired through all of these banks. Essentially, your suggestion Sorry, was that, the that, that-, these cu- that these customer funds were being sent to Alameda Research. And my, these customers who were customers of FTX, can you help me understand how that's not wire fraud? Sorry, to, to be clear, and I'm done answering questions from you after this. Uh, like you, this is not a constructive approach, but I will answer. None of it question. has been. None of it has been, Sam. You don't answer I questions. Understand. You don't. I understand. So I'm going to answer this question. Um, no, you're not. All right. I won't if you don't want me to. Like you just I'd love for you to actually answer any question. So let's just real quick. I do want to keep things as civil as possible. I understand. I understand the positions and I understand uh, the 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 sentiment behind some of this. But I I do want to hear the answer here, if possible, Sam. Yeah, totally. So um, that that what you were referencing there um, was a different. Like I said, there are many, many payment routes. This is an example of, you know, there being many different payment routes. Um, if you rewind back to, um, uh, to you know, 2019, 2020, at that point, which is different from what I described just now, um, at that point, um, FTX mostly did not have its own bank accounts. And, uh, and so instead, when customers wanted to wire money, um, they could reach out to Alameda, get wire instructions there, and wire money, choose to wire money straight to Alameda Research, and then have Alameda transfer them do a ledger transfer effectively on ftx to them that was i believe roughly speaking um the route that some people used in the especially in the early days um of ftx uh in order to i uh, you know get a wire transfer to result in them being able to access ftx um i to my knowledge they were aware of that relationship and they were aware of uh, why it was the way it was and, and of who they were uh, sending funds to. Um, I, you know, I, I think generally like the name on the account was Alameda Research. Um, I, although I like, I, I don't know all the details here. Um, and, uh, and so that was, that was a separate um, pathway that, you know, over time we decommissioned as we got access to, uh, you, basically as FTX was able to get access to uh, its own, set of bank accounts so i am gonna pivot over here to kaleo for some of the questions that they had and then i have a few more questions from unusual whales and the community so kaleo please ask any questions that you had prepared all right awesome man appreciate it yeah i've got several um so first first things first november 22nd you sent an email to employees where you pieced together recently the events that led to the breakdown the best you possibly could from what you said. Yeah, on timeline where FTX went in a very short period of time 
from $60 billion of collateral and $2 billion of liabilities to $25 billion of collateral and $8 billion of liabilities as credit dried up across the industries you quoted. So my first question is, can you speak more to how you arrived at these estimates? Yeah, and I'll first say I think that was probably Alameda, not FTX, um, that that I was referring to. Um, but, um, I but but anyway, sorry. So, you know, where those come from? I, uh, it's patching together a bunch of things. Basically, I have I got some data in the sort of like you know window between like November sixth and tenth when I was looking into this, um, and you know with that I arrived at at some of my estimates here. Um, you know, I piece that together, frankly, with like looking at market movements, estimating what token portfolios were and backing out from that, you know, what I think asset values were at various points in time. Um, and, uh, you know, cross checking that against vague memories I have, that was like effectively the process that I was going through for that. So you were using, you know, what was listed basically as the collateral that you sent to Forbes, the items such as, you know, FTT, Soul Serum. Etc. as the collateral value in those estimates. I, I, among other things, I, uh, among other things. Yeah. Okay. So my, my question for you is how were you, you know, calculating that collateral value? You know, you wrote a very detailed thread recently on mango markets and kind of how that exploit went down. And, you know, I thought you did an incredible job there of kind of explaining how the Oracle price read, you know, the fair market value right. way higher than what it actually yep. is. And, you know, going back to the way the FTX risk engine works or the way it's supposed to work, you know, you've got IMF factors, which are supposed to reduce the overall weight of collateral as the total position size in tokens continues to scale. So my question is, did you apply the same collateral valuation equally to everybody on the FTX platform, or were there any exemptions on how that process, um, you know, how that process was, uh, I guess, fairly put into place? So, uh, yeah, a few different pieces that um, I, so, um, uh, so first of all, uh, in terms of I think there's a big difference between those two scenarios because in one, it was an, it was like a manipulated price in the other. It's a less liquid price. Um, now both of those matter. And like the fact that something is illiquid, like that's a big deal. And it's something that I didn't handle well. Um, but, but I do think it's worth noting that like, it's a, um, uh, uh, well, to be fair, Sam, to the critics, some people, you know, whether you agree with it or not, you yep. know, there are critics out there that say that the FTT price, for instance, or the Serum price, or some of the other names out there were also manipulated just, you know, on a different timeline, different fashion, you know, so I think the illiquid point is, you know, more what's fair apples to apples in that scenario. Uh, I, I totally hear you. And for what it's worth, like, I, I don't believe they are manipulated. And I, I would feel quite differently if I thought they were. Um, I, I, I do believe that that would be like a, a, a big deal and, um, and would, would undermine, um, I, you know, any notion of them as reasonable collateral, even as is, um, obviously the illiquidity was a big problem, especially in size. Um, and, uh, I think I, I've given sort of, uh, unconfident answers to this in the past. I'm unfortunately going to have to give the same unconfident one now, which is that like, um, I don't have the answer in front of me. I wasn't involved much in this process. Um, there were 
um, various things for some large accounts that we were thinking about implementing. Um, I don't know exactly where all of those got to, um, I, but, I, but I uh, am not sure that, that there were no differences. I would like to be able to give a more confident answer to that. And I also um, would like to uh, feel better about the answer well, that I had to give to that. So Sam, one thing that I'll say, you know, first yep. and foremost, so the $60 billion worth of collateral, especially, you know, now, now that you're painting that as the picture for what Alameda had rather than FTX, you know, that yep. helps even more, right? So that $60 billion of collateral, if it was applied fairly using the IMF factors and calculations yep. on your exchange, yep. would have been worth $5 billion at the peak. And that's not, you know, taking into account what all other factors you had as far as what the multiples were for actually opening positions and withdrawing. So by the time it hit June, you know, continuing to scale that down when it was $25 billion, that same collateral valuation, even though mark to market was $25 billion, using your own exchanges factors was a little over $2 billion. So at that point in time, Alameda had you know, a little over $2 billion of collateral and a little over $8 billion of liabilities. So there was already this massive gap way prior to anything, you know, anything that happened in November. How was that missed? So a few things. First of all, the, the numbers that I think you're citing there were my guesses at Alameda's aggregate um, balances, not at Alameda's positions on FTX in particular. Um, and so I... Uh, I totally hear you with respect to the FTX calculations. Um, I think, if I remember right, what I put there though, that that was that was talking about Al Alameda's like global aggregate balance sheet as best as I, I could uh, predict, and that you know much of that was with third-party borrow lending desks um, rather than with FTX, um, uh, at least at, at some periods. Um, the second thing is, how are you getting to the IMF factors? Because that would that would require knowing exactly what the set of assets was, right? And well, so do, back yep. Sam, the way that I did it, you know, yep. rough estimates, yep. back calculating based on the the asset sheet that was both shared with Forbes back in August, but also using the you know the assets from the total you know you shared yourself, the assets that. FTX had that were illiquid, correct? And their valuation the week right. prior to everything collapsing yep, and the week yep, after. Yep. So using some simple math, you can, you know, calculate oh, what those what position saying. sizes were. And then from that, you know, extrapolate yep. what potential IMF factors were if they were used as collateral on the platform itself. Uh, yes, but on top of those, there are also a lot of liquid assets. So I, I think that that that's eight billion that dollars of liquid assets which were withdrawn, correct? Uh, oh, no, but they're also sorry, that's the liquid liabilities. But on top of that, Alameda had a bunch of like dollars and bitcoins lying around like many billions of dollars of them. And so it's I, uh, uh, and sorry, this is not a super satisfying answer, because there are no numbers on this, because I don't have these numbers. Um, but I uh, but the but you uh, were aware that they had a bunch of Bitcoin and other cash liabilities as well. So how are you aware if you weren't aware of any of their balance sheets or anything else that was going on at that time? So part of there is there is like a dis and by the way I apologize I have to hop off in like thirty seconds but um because I do have a so hard before stop, that, but, I'm gonna ask yep. one follow up question Sam to yep. what was being discussed earlier Sam yep. you said that money was wired to Alameda for FTX customers and claimed that the money was then moved over essentially a ledger entry but you've also described a stub account that continued to yep. be filled with customer funds after FTX got banking. The money yep. was never properly moved to FTX customer accounts. Is that correct? Uh, 
was never pro i think it, it was move well i think the there are multiple ways to think about the problem i think the way that feels most intuitive to me is that like the uh accounting never clearly hit alameda's main account so i i just it need a yes or no account. on that one sam uh so can you repeat it then the money was never what the money was never properly moved to FTX customer accounts after FTX got banking. By the money, do you mean the balances or the dollars? To be honest, Sam, either. Was the money properly moved over, the balances? Uh, the ledger entries happened properly. Were the assets moved over? Uh, I don't know that the assets were moved over, um, and I don't... and. Another way to do this would have been to have collateral posted for those. I'm not sure that happened. I think that, like, I can't give you. So it kind answer, of sounds to me, based on that response, that the answer is probably no. I, I I think that very well might be right. Okay, thank you, Sam. So I, as you said, I, I believe you had to go. So I just want to thank Extremely everybody. Convenient timing, too, man. Extremely convenient timing. I, uh, uh, convenient or not, it, it was predetermined that this was when I had to go because I do have a. Uh, Thing I'm two minutes late for. I, I do want to start, sorry, just 15 more seconds to ask, answer Anthony Kaleo's question, and then then I will hop off. But um, but because uh, I got a slightly better answer, which was that uh, there there's a display of, of Alameda's account on FTX that did show them having a, a position, but the position it showed was substantially less than the actual full position. And so part of it was uh, it not being clear what the actual full position size, and this was related to that sub account thing. So that, that's part of the answer to your question. Um, and then part of the answer is like, I don't know, it's a piece of shit. Like I like kind of vaguely knew kind of sort of maybe um, on a qualitative level what was going on. Uh, I like didn't know all of it and I didn't know all the numbers and like I just should have dug into it. And like, yeah. But you knew that there was a massive shitty. negative balance at one point in time on some type of stub account, which was not – reflected on the borrow lend book at that point in time either, I became, which oh i became fully aware of that like in the last uh you know a uh, couple months like that was so in the last uh, couple of months you knew that okay so in the last couple of months you knew that and at that point in time if they have a massive negative balance across that that's not reflected in the borrow lend book how is that different from theft because you're basically putting up people's assets against theirs right you know real customer assets that are not opting into any type of lending oh. program. They're not risking into that. They're not getting any type of, you know, yield reward that they're risking themselves into that. You know, how is that any different from theft? Oh, sorry. By, by like, what I meant was like when the shit show started was when I actually did a real dive into this and became like, uh, at, at that point, I, uh, at that point, we we're trying to clean everything up as best we could frantically. And, um, but I, but it's something I should have absolutely dove into much earlier. Sam, Sam, I, I have just one question. Uh, can you, uh, give us an understanding? I know you have to hop off, but can you give us an understanding about, uh, why the block was being funded? Um, I don't have all the details there and do have to hop off. So I'm going to do that. Okay, uh, uh, it'd be great if you, you could maybe uh, uh, jump on again, maybe, uh, if we could work something out. Uh, I think he left. Uh, no, I think, oh, he left. Uh, okay, well, uh, 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 you know, I, uh, his answers are, were not satisfying, so I apologize, everyone, for that. 
And there was a ton of questions, hundreds, um, that we could not ask um, in time. So I really apologize on that, uh, everyone. Um, maybe I can get final uh, thoughts from the speakers here uh, and the panelists uh, about what they think and how it transpired. Uh, and, uh, and then we can uh, kind of go on with our day. So let's just real quick, quick follow-ups to the panelists here. How are you feeling? Is there anything that you wish had been answered differently? Let's start with Tracy here. Yeah, I've watched a lot of these Sam interviews and um, I, I think there's, you know, everyone thinks that he is lying and I, I really wanted to take this chance to ask him about newer developments like the congressional hearing this week. Um, New news that came out this past week about the block, who Modulo Capital is. The FT leaked uh, a spreadsheet with Alameda Ventures investments. And so um, I think if anybody has the opportunity to, you know, do an interview with Sam in the future, I think a lot of what he's said about, you know, the FTX margin system and its relationship with Alameda um, has kind of been hashed through many times. So it would be great to, you know, I wish we had more time to ask him about some of the newer developments. Thank you, Tracy. So, Kaleo, I see you unmuted there. Go ahead. <laughs> Dude, I'll just comment. I think everything about his approach is completely embarrassing. And just the fact that he can justify playing a game in the first place during any of these, you know, continued. And the fact that he can laugh it off and think that it's just this casual, you know, nonchalant answer, first off, is incredibly disrespectful to both the people that he's speaking to and also the people that are listening and affected by this situation. You know, it almost shows to me that he's not taking it seriously. He doesn't understand the gravity of the situation of what just happened. It shows that he's in full denial. You know, I, I know he may have had something come up, you know, where he had a meeting that he was running late to, whatever the fuck bullshit answer that was. But you know, it, it just, I don't know, man, you, you, you can tell that he knows a lot more than what he is giving right now. And that as soon as he's pressed on questions that are relevant to the circumstance of how stuff goes down, you can tell how shaky he gets and how much back and forth he gets. You know, like, for instance, his, his answer about, oh, yeah, you know, I knew about that for the past couple of months. And then, oh, no, I meant the past couple of weeks. Like, what's the real answer? You know, like, it, 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 there's, there's a lot of bullshit that's lying in there. So it's incredibly frustrating listening to him speak because he's going to give answers and dance around, you know, by giving irrelevant, ir irrelevant answers, you know, that sound good. And he sprinkles in a lot of facts with it. But, you know, he leaves out the truths, you know, the it's lying by omission. So anyway, I'm sorry, I'm rambling a little bit, but it's just frustrating. Oh, no, I totally agree. I think it was super interesting that, uh, you know, when, when I asked him why he would do media interviews without a prayer in front of Congress, he basically said that he was OK with wasting the public's time, but didn't want to waste the time of like 50 50 you know, representatives. Um, and also another point, um, you know, I've, I've talked to Sam for a while just as a journalist. And, and one thing that he does, I don't know if it's because he's, you know, a traitor, but he never really speaks in certainties. For example, you can ask him about, you know, like, is your name Sam? And he might respond with like, yeah, that's probably true. Like, like he never actually ever says anything with certainty. So I think part of that could be, you know, him 
you know, covering his ass. But another part is just, I think that's how he's always been. All right, Molly or Cass, do you have anything to add here? Yeah, but I think it's interesting that he has basically unlimited time to do Twitter spaces. I mean, this is like the, what, like the fifth one he's done or something. Um, But he's worried about duplicating statements in front of Congress. Um, I'm, I'm honestly surprised that he agreed to appear at the House hearing, and I'd be very curious why he's willing to appear there and not at the Senate. I think the answer he gave was pretty unsatisfying. But ultimately, I'm just interested in watching him answer questions under oath because, you know, he can lie as much as he wants in these Twitter spaces. Um, But I'm hoping that, you know, tomorrow we might see something different. Yeah, I'm with Molly on this. I think uh, he's had an opportunity to waste everyone's time. I've listened to him in every single interview he's done, unfortunately. And um, he just rambles and goes in circles and uh and lies and i think it is um unfortunate that he's trying to sway the court of public opinion right now when we all know that the only court that matters is the court of law and that is where he will ultimately end up uh because of all this and i think it's important to remember that and not let him i none of his answers were satisfying to me whether it was a good question or not and i um i've basically seen that happen and transpire in every single interview that he's done. Um, and it's exhausting and it's unfortunate, but, um, yeah, that's where we are. All right. Does anyone else have anything else to add before we move people on to the rest of their days here? I might do follow up space after this and just vent for a little bit more. So if anybody's interested, feel free to follow, check it out. <laughs> Perfect, Kaleo. Thank you. We've got a new person up here who has a few comments. Dave Lauer. Yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Can can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, you sound great. great. Yeah. I mean, I just <laughs> I gotta say, and I really appreciate you guys for for holding this and getting him here. But um, it's just such bullshit, right? Like the whole thing is just such. It's like a complete Ponzi scheme, and he admitted it. He he admitted it uh, explicitly. In one of those last questions where it was asked, you know, were you taking the funds when they were sent to Alameda and transferring them over to FTX? And he couldn't answer it <laughs> because, of course, you know, he, he can't answer this stuff because when you get down to that level of granularity, it becomes very clear that it was complete Ponzi scheme. Right. It, this was this was like not just a Ponzi. It wasn't just made off. It was like Corzine. Uh, you know, dipping into customer funds, and it's couched in this complexity of margin and collateralization and balance sheets and such. But it was really just a straightforward Ponzi scheme, and it it does such a disservice. You know, you you I think it was said it does a disservice to the people here and 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 everyone listening and all that. But it's like such a disservice to the people he stole money from, and it really feels like we're not using the right language anymore when dealing with him. And I get it because, you know, it, it's going to be a stretch for somebody to expect somebody to come on when you just call them out for what they are. But it's just straightforward crime, right? Like this is it. it, it I feel like we're making this so uh, overly complex, so much more complex than it needs to be when it's simply clear money was being sent in order to trade on FTX and it was just being stolen by Alameda, lost with poor trading strategies or put into Bahamian 
uh, real estate or paid out in loans to people who are buying yachts. Uh, and and the, the most that was happening was maybe a journal entry on FTX that made you think that your money had been moved over, right? So it, that I think my frustration over all of this and a lot of people's frustration is that we're not necessarily calling it you know, straight, in a straightforward way what it is, which is a, a strict Ponzi scheme uh, in which he was stealing money. And, and I was actually surprised that in the, the response that he was so explicit uh, in admitting it, it was maybe, and I, you know, I will admit to not having listened to all of the spaces like you guys have or participated, but I've listened to a couple and I've always heard him kind of dance around questions that would really implicate him. But this really seemed to me to be a major implication when he said that those funds were not being sent over to FTX. I think I would be inclined to agree with that, Dave. Thank you. We've got another addition for some thoughts. Tiffany Fong. Oh, hey, I just wanted to note, um, I was also curious about his donations to the block, and I tried texting him on Friday um, shortly after that article came out, um, and he did open it and did not respond about um, his donation, or not donations, the money that he funneled to the CEO, Michael McCaffrey. Um, he didn't respond to that. So just noting that. Thank you, Tiffany. I guess as, as like a reporter and also, um, you know, Coindesk and Block, I think we've always had a little bit of a friendly rivalry. Uh, and this is not to, uh, you know, I, this is my unbiased opinion or I'll try hard to be unbiased. Um, you know, it could also, it could be, I, I find it hard to believe that Sam didn't influence any of the coverage. You know, I do think that, you know, FTX and Sam were big players in the crypto industry. So if you were any type of crypto reporter, you probably had some access to Sam and you had to write stories about FTX. Um, the thing that I, f I suspect that he probably did was also just, you know, whisper in the year of many reporters um, and, and write stories that kind of shaped things to Sam's own narrative. And this could, it's not just FTX Alameda coverage. It could be, you know, a reporter writing a story about crypto regulation. And then they go text Sam, like, hey, Sam, what do you think about this bill? And then Sam will whisper something into their ear and then they'll cite somebody familiar with the matter. And, um, you know, if you just look at the block's history and, you know, their historical stories. And as a reporter, I, I think I can kind of read through the story and kind of know who was, the unnamed source behind it. And so I just suspect that he was probably a source to a lot of their stories. Um, although I would have liked to hear from him. Um, he, he really wanted to hop off when, when he was asked that question, but I would have really loved to hear why, you know, he gave a $16 million personal loan to Mike McCaffrey and McCaffrey used it to buy real estate in, in the Bahamas, which I think is, is, is not good. Yeah, I would agree. Maybe if we're if we're able to get a follow up interview, we can put that toward the top of the docket to try to get him to give a direct concrete response to that this time. All right. Does anybody else have any closing thoughts before we wrap up here and send people along their way? All right, everybody. I know, as Whale said earlier, we didn't get the best responses we were looking for, but I think we did. We did get a couple of good, concrete yes, no's on a couple of our questions. So that's, you know, for what it's worth, that's good. Uh, for those of you that came in late or feel like you missed anything, this will be uploaded later today, hopefully in the next few hours here as an Unusual Whales podcast on Spotify, Apple Pod, and YouTube. 
Thank you all again for coming and listening. Hopefully you were able to garner some of that. Hopefully some of the responses we were able to get were at least somewhat insightful. Uh, until next time, folks, thanks again for coming. And we will catch you on the next Unusual Whale Space. And make sure you're following all Appreciate the speakers it. up here today. A lot of good takes. A lot of them are doing constant coverage on the situation as it unfolds. And we will be back tomorrow on the Unusual Whale Spaces and Twitch with some more or less commentary list coverage of the hearing itself tomorrow. Thanks again, everybody. Have a great rest of your day.